Georgia. Well, good morning. That's hot today, isn't it? That's loud. It's good to see you. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're glad that all of you are here. And I um, want to encourage you to look at the worship guide and see the different announcements. If you look on the back page, we really need you to sign up for Wednesday night meals by tomorrow. Um, we have some people who are calling us on Tuesday and Wednesdays, and that's okay, except for the fact that the folks who are cooking order everything, and we need to it'd be really helpful. I did it today. I just scanned it, registered Kim and I. I had a senior adult lady in the first service who wanted to go. I scanned it again and registered her for her. So just please do that by 2 o'clock on, um, on, on, on Monday, okay? And the rest of the announcements you can see. Before we stand up and greet one another, let me call your attention to the screen. Ladies, there's an event taking place tonight, and you want to hear more about it. We hope, ladies, that you'll attend these two middle sections. You can lead the chairs up. I told the first service, I'm from Sand Mountain, and when I see liquid like that going into a mason jar, I think moonshine. So, uh, uh, so we're not doing that tonight, okay? But uh, we want you to be filled, so please come back. Stand up and greet one another. We, we're glad you're here today. All right. All right. It's, um, it's really good to have you here today. You can go ahead and be seated and please greet each other. And, and I know, as you know, in this service, by the time we get 
to the preaching part. A lot of folks will come in after, um, after we've already done this. So make sure they're welcomed as well. We don't want anyone to come in that doesn't know that we're glad that you're here. And, um, and so we are. And, and all of you, on the back of the, of the worship guide, you can also scan the QR code. And they'll give you a place to get all the information about our church if you want it. So our call to worship, this is the last time for this month. We'll have a new one next month, but it's Psalm 63. And so I want to ask you if you would just read along with me out loud. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary Beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Let's say this out loud together, really. So I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? And then Vaughn's going to come and read our scripture. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we can worship you and we want to desire you like that passage just spoke of. And sometimes, Lord, we just need to ask you to give us a desire to desire. We're not where we need to be sometimes, many times, and we don't have the right even desire. So would you give us a desire to desire, and today in worship, in preaching, in the reading of Scripture, and the giving, everything we do, God, would you assault us Salt us with your word so that we thirst for you as we just read about. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Long come read our scripture, please. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain to the just and on the unjust. For if you have love for those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing for others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Vaughn. Let's stay in church. Let's continue to worship through singing. Let's enjoy the Lord as we worship him today.
Cool. 
came out of my mouth praise and honor unto me and when I said me I thought that's not it and I looked up and it was thee and I thought that's just like the self isn't it praise and honor unto me instead of thee I watched this little video on social media and it, it had um, a group of sheep flock of sheep out in the pasture and they had some people there who were just guests. And they went out into the pasture and they, be, they began to call them at the fence. And the sheep never even looked up. They just kept grazing. And it showed two or three people and each time the sheep never looked up. And finally, it had a little thing that said, the shepherd. And he stepped up and he began to call the exact same thing that they were calling. And immediately, every one of the sheep looked up shepherd 
And then he called again, and a couple began to come, and he kept calling. And every single one of them ran straight to him where he was on the fence. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And so this morning, we get to hear from the Word of God. And, and I know that these words are written by Paul. But I want to remind you that the words written by Paul are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're just like the words Vaughn read that are spoken by Jesus. These are inspired words. These are letters from heaven. And so I just want to ask you, if you would, just to, to bow your head for a moment and, and ask the Lord to speak to you today. This morning in the Psalms, the psalmist said this. I love these two verses out of Psalm 25, but he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Listen to that again. Make me, teach me, lead me. Would you ask your shepherd to make you know his ways today through the word? To teach you through his word, by his spirit, and to lead you in the truth. Father, we come before you. The world shouts at us. The message is all around us. And it's very easy for us to sing praise and honor unto me and not thee, not you. We want to hear from your voice. And I know we're busy got little contraptions that beep at us all the time, reminding us of something we're missing. And I know, Lord, that we've got our bodies and all the things that the body tells us we need to do. But the Word tells us that the friendship of yours is for those who fear you. And it's amazing that we can be your friends so I'm just asking you Jesus to put a spirit of calm around us would you just remove the anxieties for a brief moment the cares of what we've got to do in the next couple of hours help us to to not even worry about what's on that social media or that text message and just for this few moments listen to this letter from heaven and as the spirit led Paul to write it I pray Holy Spirit you would empower me to preach it and you would let us listen to it and apply it and walk out of here different you know our needs I pray for Rob as he has another hip surgery this week I pray for a young lady I just heard about during Sunday school, young 30s, having major surgery Tuesday morning. We lift her to you. We pray for others who are battling with cancer, like Frank Morrison. We pray for him. We pray for Miss Cynthia. We pray for Leon Black and Miss Janice. And we ask God that you would be with them as they battle. Pray for Joe. And as his heart, just thank you, Lord, that he's doing better. And we just ask that you would be with him. And 
Vicki. You know the other needs. Not just physical, but spiritual and emotional, mental. So much the enemy throws at us. We just need to hear from you today, Lord. I thank you for Justin and Jonathan, Rob and Prince and Kim. I thank you for the way they lead us in worship week after week. I thank you for Matt and the work he puts into making sure we can hear it. Those who run our computer so that we can see the verses. Even those who are behind the scenes right now making sure that those at home can watch. And we pray for those who are watching from home. Those who may watch this later in the week. We ask God that you would speak to them as well. Help us hear from you, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, as they get our lights up, I just want to encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. I probably look better in the dark if you turn off of me, but I can't see to read. And so uh, we're going to have to have them up. Um, Colossians chapter 2. Last week we looked at verses 11 and 12. Today we're going to look at verses 13 through 15 as we continue our study of Colossians. I'll just remind you that everything we're saying right now is flowing from 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. So the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus and from that fullness we're filled. And what happens when we're filled? Well, remember, I want us to read verses 11, 12, and then we'll look at verses 13 through 15 today. So if you can, stand in honor of the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Paul said, you've been filled in Him, that's verse 10, but now he says, in Him, the one who the fullness of deity dwells, the one who fills you, in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So that was last week's text. Leads right into today. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So last week, we saw what Paul called the circumcision made without hands. And what he says is that's the circumcision of Christ, which was not his physical circumcision, but his death on the cross and his resurrection. And Paul continues that thought in our text, but in these three verses, he gives us, as I studied it, it's it's just the source of what we call the doctrine of justification. How we're made right with God. What I want to remind you is that justification has two parts. 
when we place faith in Christ, God legally decrees that we are justified, which means that the all-powerful judge of the world, God the Creator, says to us two things. One, you're not guilty, and two, you're righteous. God declares us who are sinners not guilty through faith, but He doesn't leave us there. He says you're righteous with the righteousness of Christ. Now the question for us is, how does a holy God do that? I know God can do anything he chooses to do. But his holiness demands that he punish sin. So how can a holy God take a sinner sinner like me and say you're not guilty? And then how can a holy God take a sinner like me and say you're righteous? On what basis does God do that? And we're going to see in our text because the answer is here. But we've got to look at a couple of things. I just want you to see three simple points. Real simple. First of all, look at what we were. Look at what we were. See what he says in our text? And you who were dead in your trespasses. We were dead. Dead? What's Paul mean? I mean, he's writing to people who are now dead, but they weren't dead when they received the letter. Why would Paul say you were dead? Was the whole church miraculously brought back to life? No, that's not what he's saying. He's using a spiritual term to describe our life outside of Christ. To understand it, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God is created. He's, he's, Genesis 1, he's created the earth and everything that we know, the heavens and everything. And on the sixth day, he creates Adam and Eve. And he creates a garden in chapter 2. It's a continuation of that. And in the garden, he places Adam and Eve there. And he puts Adam in there. And, and look at verses 15 and 16 of Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden. You may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam and Eve had a rule book, and it was real simple. Do anything you want, just don't eat that one tree. Their Bible was pretty short. Just don't eat that one tree. Satan comes in and tempts them, convinces them that they'd be more like God if they'd eat of that tree, that God's holding back on them. And so Eve eats of it, but the Bible says, and then she gives it to Adam who was with her, and they both ate of it. But here's the thing. They didn't suddenly drop dead. God said, you eat of this fruit, you'll die. Surely die. But they didn't physically drop dead. In fact, they lived hundreds of years later. So was God wrong? No. They did die physically eventually. But what God was saying is if you eat of this tree, this fruit, if you try to get right and wrong apart from me, if you go outside of me for these wis- this wisdom, you're going to spiritually die. 
And that's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. They were cast out of the garden. And they began a generation of people who have followed and we've come in their place. We are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And we're all born with that sin nature. You see, Paul talks about that in Romans. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we find these words. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam. Just as sin came into the world through Adam and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's when the law was given with Moses. Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam's spiritual death impacted every single person who would come after Adam. Every single one of us have a spiritual death. We are born dead. Jesus understood this. He taught it. There's a passage where Jesus comes up to a man and says, follow me. And the man says, he says, Lord, I'll, let me, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my father first. And in Luke 9, 60, Jesus said, Leave the dead to bear their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want you to see this. Jesus says, leave the dead to bear the dead. And what he means is, leave the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. He knew that they were spiritually dead. And Jesus taught that. He taught that they were spiritually dead. So let them go bury, and you worry about life in the kingdom. And so Jesus taught this. Maybe the fullest account of this is in Ephesians 2. You can really understand Colossians by looking at Ephesians, and Ephesians by looking at Colossians. They're very closely related. And here we are in our text in Ephesians 2, verse 1. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Same thing he said in Colossians. He says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were spiritually dead. We sinned because we're sinners. We're born with that, that sin nature that's there from Adam. That's why he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that we're outside of Christ unable to understand spiritual things. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, we're blinded by the God of this age. In Romans 8, 8, he says, we're hostile to God. Ephesians 4, verse 18 he says of those who are dead in the spirit, they are darkened, they are alienated, they are ignorant, and they are hard of heart. That is every single person outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, it's what you were. But I want you to hear me today. If you're not in Christ, it's what you are. Spiritually dead. But if you're in Christ, you died with him. You were dead. But look, let's get to some good news, okay? Look at the second point. Not only what we were, 
but what we are in Christ. What we are now in Christ. Now let me say it again, it's a big if. If you're in Christ, you were dead to your sin. If you're not in Christ, you're still alive and the dead in that sin. If you're in Christ, you're now raised with him. Look at what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. It's an action of God. God the Father moves us from death into life. And the rest of the passage will explain to us how we do that. But let's just stop for a moment and and just look at this. God made us alive. We were dead, but he made us alive. Paul's describing the moment of salvation. The moment that you place faith in God, you're brought from death into life. Over and over again, we find these words in the Scriptures, especially in Ephesians and Colossians, that we're in Him, we're in Him, we're with Him. How do we get in Christ? How does Christ come in us? How can we be with Him? How do we have this union with Christ? God the Father makes us alive. The old word for it is he quickens us. We were dead and God quickens us. He he brings us from life to death. Jesus spoke of this, didn't he, in Nicodemus in John 3? He said you have to be born again. you got to be born again. Physical birth's not enough. Every one of us have been born physically or you wouldn't be here. Physical birth is good, but it's not enough. You born physically and you're born in spiritual death. You see, because you have that sin nature passed down from Adam, you sin. And the result of that sin is more sin and eventually death. But if you've been made alive with Christ, if you've been born again, the Spirit now lives inside of you. And the result is that you begin to overcome sin and you begin to live a holy life. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. This is mercy. He has, look at this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God caused it to happen. 1 Peter 1.23 says he causes it through the word of God. So you think about the Word of God, and you, you think, this is, this is Ezekiel 36, where God promises to give us a new heart. It's, it's Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, where he says that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, that anybody could boast. It's, it's something that God does. We're born. We're born again. John three sixteen makes it very clear, doesn't he? That we must believe. Who, whosoever shall believe in him. We must believe in him. And the moment we believe in him, we're born again. So here's how it works. The word of God is shared. 
It may be through a sermon. Most likely it's through a mother and father who are speaking to a child or, or, or a friend at work who's speaking to you over, over coffee. And maybe they use a track or maybe they just open the Bible and start teaching you. Or maybe you're going through a Bible study thing and, and you're looking and the Word of God begins to encounter you. And you realize, I'm dead. I need, I need this. So you, you, the Word is shared and the Spirit does two things in response to the shared Word. As I'm preaching to you, if you're lost, the Holy Spirit, if He's working in you, the Spirit of God will convict you, but He will also quicken you. How many times have we talked to people who said they sat in the pew and they listened to the preacher preach and, and they were bored out of their mind week after week after week and, and they heard the same old message and all they could do was think, when am I going to get out of here? And then all of a sudden, one day, the old preacher preaches the exact same message that he's always preached. The Sunday school teacher teaches the exact same message that she's always taught. But all of a sudden, you think, this is for me. And you realize that you've sinned and the burden of that overcomes you. And you know that all of a sudden you, you can't go another moment without calling out to Jesus. Can I tell you that's God? That's not you. That's not me. That's not the gifting of the preacher or the teacher or the evangelist. It's not your brain or your smartness figuring it out. It is the grace of God that reached down to a person who was dead in their sin and he brought them to life. It gave them the ability to call out to him. We're nothing more than Lazarus who are dead in the grave. Waiting for Jesus to say, come forth. And when he does, when we come out and we place faith in him, we're born again. We're raised. The death of Jesus becomes our death and the resurrection of Jesus becomes our resurrection. Let me ask you again, how does he do that? How in the world does God make it happen? How does that happen? That's the third point. How does it happen? God does five things in this text. There's a few more, but there are five main things here that I want you to see in verses, second half of verse 13 through verse 15. How does it happen? Look at what happened. You and I were brought from death into life. Paul says God moves. And I want you to look at the end of, of verse 13. God made alive together with him, here it is, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here's the first thing. It's just simply the word of forgiven. God has forgiven us all, what a blessed word, all our trespasses. Not some of them, not most of them, not a part of them, not a little of them. Not the ones that happened before you were saved. All. God has forgiven all. It's why we can say that in Jesus we are no longer condemned. The thing that caused our death sin, the thing that causes us to keep on sinning, that sin in our life, that sin nature is forgiven. But how does God forgive it? 
I understand how I treated my daughters versus the way I treat my grandchildren. I understand that the things that would bring a whipping from me when I was a father would never bring a whipping as a grandfather. But God's not a grandfather. God is a holy God. And he can't just sweep our sins under the rug. He's got to punish it. He has to punish it. He's holy. So how does a holy God forgive our sin? Look at what he says here. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Joel, hang on before we bring out that point. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us. Many people say this record of debt is an IOU. That we have this spiritual IOU with God. I don't think it's an IOU. I think it's God's YOM. It's not IOU, God. It's God saying, you owe me. We owe something for our sin. As Paul said, our sin is cosmic treason against the holy God. It's just not the way we live. It's just not who we are. It's just not, as Flip Wilson, some of you older folks will remember, the devil made me do it. It's okay. No, it's, it's sin against the holy God. Sin has to be punished. The, the sin nature has to be dealt with. The sin that has been committed, our actions, our words, our thoughts, they must be punished. And Paul says here, that God took the trespasses that we, that we committed and he, and he wrote them down. God's got books. He's got a book with our sin. He's got a record of debt. That, that's what he's talking about, the record of debt. And it's a word literally that speaks of handwriting. I don't mean that God handwrites it all out. He could. He's God. But what I think he's doing is giving us a word picture that everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done or wish we could have done, God has a record of that. And it stands against us. And when we stand before God... Satan will use that to accuse us to try to drag us into an eternal hell. So what does God do with that? He takes that handwritten debt, that record of debt, and the scripture says, here it is, he cancels it. He canceled it. He canceled it. It's literally, the word is to wipe away, to erase. The picture is this. Just picture it. We know that Satan goes to and fro and, and he accuses the brothers. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. Accuser of brothers and sisters. He's accusing us, accusing us, accusing us. But I want you to picture the scene. You're standing before a holy God who knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done. He knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. He knows everything. He knows what we do in public and what we do in private. He knows it all. And we stand before a holy God, and the enemy begins to try to accuse us. And the great judge of heaven, God himself, rules our sin. Get this. He rules it inadmissible. 
It's an incredible thing. He cancels it. A judge can rule evidence inadmissible, and the lawyer can't bring it back. He can appeal it to a higher court, but get this, there's no higher court than God. There's no appeal of the enemy. The enemy has suddenly lost the ability to accuse you before God because God has taken the record of debt that stood against you and canceled it. It's incredible. The grace that we see here. But here it is. How does God cancel it? He forgives it. But how does he forgive it? How does he cancel it? There's a third thing. Paul says that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that Old Testament law, that New Testament ruling, that stuff that's there in the Scripture that we've transgressed, that we've failed to keep or failed to do, look what he says. He sets it aside. These he set aside. Douglas Moo in his commentary said, that means he removed it from the situation. God removed it. He ruled it inadmissible. Piper says, it is taken from the midst. God not only, God not only decides to forgive it, he cancels it. And when he cancels it, he rules it inadmissible. And when he rules it inadmissible, he says, take it out of my presence. Take it out of my memory. I choose to not remember it anymore. It is cast as far as the east is from the west. It never comes back. It's been removed. Your sin debt has been removed. Now, here's the question. It's forgiven, it's canceled, it's removed. How? How can he remove it? He's a holy God. How can he remove it? Well, look at the next thing. He set it aside. Look at the text. Nailing it to the cross. God took your sin debt. And God took that debt. And he nailed it to the cross. It has been said there were three things nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Pilate's inscription was nailed to the cross. Anybody standing at the foot of the cross could see the inscription and they could see Jesus. But there was something else nailed and we see it here. What else was nailed was in the spiritual realm. God took your sin, he took my sin, he took our sin and he placed it on Jesus. And that sin debt, that record of debt that held against us was nailed to the cross. This is, this is substitution. God stood in our place. And died for us. We are justified, declared not guilty, and declared righteous by the atoning death of Jesus and by the atoning death of Jesus alone. Now let me free you up. Jesus died some 2,000 years ago. Easy question, not a trick question. How many of your sins... When Jesus died on the cross, we're in the future. All of them. All of them. And when God took the sin debt and nailed it to the cross, 
he covered all, all our sin. From the sin that you committed as an in, from, you know what I mean, when you get old enough to sin. From that sin, even the sin nature that you were born with leading to the sin tantrum of that toddler who begins to defy his parents or her parents. All the way to the last sin of your long life on this earth. Covered. Canceled. Nailed to the cross. That's why. That's why I keep going back to Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But how does he end it? Romans 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation, no separation. Now there's one more thing he does here. I want you to see this. It all works together because there's a couple things here, but this is the main thing. In the work of Jesus, God moves. This is God working. God the Father working through God the Son's actions on the cross. Verse 15 said... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God the Father is the one acting here. He's the one who is holy, holy, holy. Now all the Godheads, holy, holy, holy. But God the Father is the one sitting on the throne. He's the judge. And it says that he disarmed he disarmed the rulers and authorities. We, we've said a lot about rulers and authorities, and we'll say more about them in the days to come. But, but listen, I don't know that disarmed, or most translations say it that way, is, is the best way to say it. Because it's the exact same word that you find in chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says in 3, 9, to put off the old self. So that put off is the word, the same word for disarmed. So what is he saying? I think the best way to say this is that, that through the cross, God stripped. He stripped Satan and he stripped the demons. He stripped them and shamed them openly through the cross. That's why he hates you so much. It's why Satan won't leave you alone. Your salvation and your worship of him today and when you worship him this week and when you get up and read your Bible and when you pray and when you do the things in the spirit, it is an open reminder to that slew-footed enemy that he's been defeated and he's lost and he'll never have your soul because you've been forgiven and your sin's been canceled. And it's, the debt's been removed. It's been nailed to the cross. And therefore the enemy is stripped. I got a lot of help on this last section. Because I, I was trying to figure it out. But several writers said this. This is saying that first of all when Jesus rose from the dead... And then when his death and resurrection are applied to us through faith, Satan and his demons lose all ground for accusation. That's his chief tool against you. 
to accuse you. But when the accusation has been ruled inadmissible, he's lost his chief tool. And so you can stand forgiven in Christ because Jesus has won the battle. That's why we rest in Romans 8. That's why we're not only not guilty in God's eyes, but we're righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And as we'll see in Colossians 3.3, we're hidden with Christ in God. There's something else, though. He not only takes away the chief accusational tool, he takes away another tool, and that's the tool of death. I don't mean you won't die. If Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, we're all going to physically die. It's a part of the sin world that we live in. We live and we die. And to be honest with you, I'm thankful. I can't imagine living five, six hundred years. I heard enough at 58. I can't imagine that. It's a grace that we get to go and be with Jesus in heaven. But the sting of death isn't applied to us anymore. I told the first service, I was the kid that climbed everything. Now I don't even like heights, but, but I climbed everything. Trees, roofs, two, three years old. The neighbor called, I've told you this. Pat, my mom, Pat, did you know John's on the roof? Lesson three, I climbed up the antenna pole. Y'all could ask your parents what an antenna pole is. But, but I, some of you are going to have to ask your grandparents. But I understand. My mom came in, John, what are you doing? How would you get up there? And I said, like this. I just slid down the antenna pole. I climbed everything. My dad had this shed that had open rafters. And I would get in those rafters and jump back and forth and swing from the rafters. And we had those oak trees down on the Gulf Coast. We'd jump from branch to branch, thought we were Tarzan. But one day I was up in those rafters. And I got into a red hornet nest. You can't imagine how hard it is to get out of rafters when you get into red hornets. And every time I see red hornets or hornets, wasps, I think about that day. I was helping Kim's dad. I was cutting the tree down in his front yard just with a little saw. It was a small little tree. And as I did it, I didn't see there was a yellow jacket nest right there by the tree. And one of them caught me right on the lip. Now, I know it's not environmentally safe, but I enjoyed pouring gas in that hole that night. Yeah. <laughs> but every time I see a yellow jacket, I think of that wasp. But can you imagine knowing those wasps don't have stingers? I'm not afraid of a little bug that doesn't have a stinger. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not looking forward to the process. I'm real honest. I, wanna, I just want to die in my sleep, but I don't get to determine that. But I don't have to be afraid of what death brings. Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, you live even though you die. The writer of Hebrews, and I'm going to give you a plug real quick. If you don't have a Wednesday night Bible study, right through those doors on the left is the fellowship hall. Ed Glasscock is teaching an incredible study through Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Jesus, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He still has power on this earth. 
But we don't have to fear Satan any more than we would feel a, feel a wasp that had no stinger. Satan and his demons have lost in those who are in Christ their two tools. Accusation and the fear of death. It's been taken away. But there's one more thing I want you to see. Not only are we delivered from the dominion of sin, but I want you to hear me. One pastor said it this way. We're also delivered from the dominion of sinning. You're not just delivered from the dominion of sin. You're delivered from the dominion of sinning. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I am not talking about perfectionism. I'm not saying that you will never sin. We all know our history. But what I'm saying to you is you sinned as a lost person because you had a sin nature and you had no option. I'm not saying you, weren't as, you were not as bad as you could be because we weren't. But we sinned and sin was our nature. But our nature's been changed. We've been given a new nature and we act according to our nature and we believe according to our nature. And now that we have the Holy Spirit, God has stripped the sin nature and the enemy of its power over us. And the damning truth is, if I sin, there is nothing that made me do it because the Spirit's inside of me. I just chose to do it. I chose to ignore the Holy Spirit. I chose to ignore the Word. I chose to ignore the voice of God. And I just did what I wanted to do. But there's nothing in a child of God that forces us to sin. We've been, we've been relieved. We've been resurrected. And Satan's power has been stripped over us. At the end of the text, verse 15, it says God the Father has triumphed, triumphing over them in Jesus the picture here is my triumph. It's a, and I'm going to close with this. It, it's a picture of a Roman general who comes back victorious. Arkin Hughes pictures when the Roman general who defeated Macedonia, Philippi and all that was in Macedonia. It was the Greek center. When the Roman soldier, the Roman general defeated Macedonia, he comes back to Rome with the spoils. And a Roman historian describes it. And, and I'm just going to whittle it down for you. Listen to what he says. He says when he's coming back into the city, he's on the edge of the city. All of Rome dresses in white and comes and sits in chairs that are made for them like bleachers. And they come and they welcome the general home and celebrate his victory. He said on the first day, this is after the defeat of Macedonia. On the first day, 259 chariots come into the city filled with statues and pictures and images that have been taken from the enemy. On the second day, 
the historian said, innumerable wagons came in loaded with the armor of the conquered army. And after the innumerable wagons loaded with armor, he said, wagons, 750 of them filled with vessels of silver. And then on the third day, 120 oxen were paraded through the city that were going to sacrifice, be sacrificed. And then behind the oxen, all the gold that they had taken from Macedonia. And then after the gold, the conquered king's servants were paraded. And following the conquered king's servants, the conquered king's children were paraded. And following the king's children, the conquered king's wives were paraded. And then after all of that, Slave after slave after slave of those Macedonians who had been conquered, he said they were innumerable, came through the city. And then the general comes through. He's dressed, he's in his chariot, it's, it's, or, it's ornate, and he comes in and the, and, the, and the general comes in behind all the spoil and then behind the general, all the victorious army. It took three days for them to get through the city. Now here's the thing. Our Kent said, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God the Father achieved a great victory over the powers of this world. He made a public spectacle of them. And he wants us to see that though they still exist, they're defeated. Satan's demons have been sentenced to be in the train of God's victory parade. Hear me, church. We don't have to fear the outcome. Our battle with evil is over because Jesus, Jesus has conquered we still fight from the victory, but the outcome's settled. Jesus conquered, so we conquer. And that's all because we're in Christ. So there's really only three or two questions left. Can you say, that's what I was? Can you look and see that you've now risen with Christ and the Spirit of God has lived inside of you and you know that you've been forgiven and you know that your sin's been canceled and you know all those things are to be true. Can you say, that's what I was? Or do you have to say, that's what I still am? I want you to hear me. Jesus Christ died so that you could have salvation. And you must ask him. So if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart right now and you know you're lost, call to him and you'll be saved. Call to him. And I want to free you with one more thing. Some of you are battling. You're thinking, there's no way God can forgive me for what I did. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know where I've been. You don't know. There's no way God could forgive me. I want you to hear me. All your trespasses are forgiven in Christ. All. Don't carry that guilt anymore. 
trust in Christ and live in the freedom of holiness. Amen? Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Kim and the guys are going to come and we're going to sing. But I want you to wrestle with that question just for a second. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? I asked you this last week. What are you depending on, mama? Mama's faith? Daddy's faith? Granddaddy's preaching? Granny's church? Baptism? All those things are good, but that's not what saves us. You must be born again. You have to come to a place that you ask Christ to come into your life. You may have done it at a very early age. You don't remember the exact time, but you know that you've been saved. And the way we know that is because the Spirit of God lives in us. You say, how do I know? Well, how can God live in you and you not know it? Have you been born again? If not, what's keeping you from being born again? Has he blinded you and now all of a sudden your eyes are open? Have you not been able to understand it, but now all of a sudden you hear it? That's God working. Listen to him and don't, don't waste the opportunity. Father, I pray for each person that's here. I know many of them are born again. And I pray that in, in the spirit who saves us, we will walk and we will learn victory moment by moment over sin. But God, I also know that in a room this size, there may be those, there probably are those who have never been saved. Holy Spirit, would you move in their heart and save them, we pray. Let us be obedient, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. As we sing, if you need to do something public, Tim and I are both here. We'll help you with that.
bow your heads for a moment. Let's just ask the Spirit to breathe on you. And even where I started today, if you don't have the desire that we're talking about, would you ask God to just give you the desire to desire Him? You may not even have that desire. Just ask God to give you a desire to desire. Ask Him to salt you a little bit so that you'll be thirsty and drink. And then pray for those around you. Pray the same thing for them. Father, we praise you. You are a good, good Father. Our salvation is a testimony to that. And when we see what you've done to save us, we give you praise and glory. Praise is yours. You've done it. And we honor you because of it. We pray for our children, our parents, our relatives, our friends, maybe who have gone astray pray again for our prodigals that they would come home. We pray for those who have never known you that they would come to know you. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the boldness this week to share your love and mercy, to share your word with those who, who are around us so that through your word you may convict, bring the life, and save. Thank you for each person that's here. Bless them as they go. Give us a week where we're walking in your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank each of you for being here. These two center sections stay up. All the side sections need to go up on the racks. Greet each other, please, and let them know that you're glad they're here. Guests, I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you. Ladies, don't forget about the well gathering tonight. God bless you.